Welcome to the latest episode of the Flower Pot Podcast here at the National Botanic Garden of Wales. And uh, today's guest is David Hardy. Uh, hi, David. Hi, Bruce. David, you've got to tell me at the start, because I'd never know anyone's job title. What's your job title nowadays? It's uh, Head of Marketing and Communications. Or in Welsh, it's Pernaith Magnata. But I'm always accused of making that sound scouse. Magnata. <laughs> North Wales. North Wales. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, so, David, uh, how long have you been here for? Ooh, it's quite a while now. I first came to the garden, or as one recent director described, I first washed up on the garden shores <laughs> in uh, 2006. Um, I had been working on the Carmarthen Journal, which is the main paper in the nearest big town here in Carmarthenshire. And we had been doing some promotions for the garden because the then director, he was an interim director, he had approached the paper and said, we're, we're getting plenty of traction in places like Cardiff and London, but locally we're not doing very well. So he had come to the right place and we put together a bit of a package with lots of competitions and free tickets. And, things. and then... Um, when I was made redundant from the Carmarthen Journal, he um, tra tracked me down and said, well, look, why don't we... Is it gamekeeper turned poacher? Why don't, we, why don't we get you into the garden a day a week and do a similar kind of promotional... Um, uh, yeah, promotional exercise in order to get the garden better known in the locale, you know, in the sort of what we, what we now call the one and a half hour drive zone which is kind of the what we focus on as the local population that key local market um it takes us all the way to cardiff doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah. happily it takes <laughs> us all the way to that really big city with lots of people in it uh the truth of the matter is that when i first got to the garden I'm pretty sure I was one of seven people in that office. I was um, one of them. You were? Yeah, yeah. Well, you were half of one half of them. Half of one of them, yeah. You were half of one. At the time, yeah. Um, it goes back, don't tell Jane, but it goes back to a time when we had a separate membership officer and a separate volunteer <laughs> coordinator, a role that she now fulfills uh, singularly. Um, we also had an event manager. We also had a PR guy. And we had a head of, we had a head of marketing, and I'm pretty sure that the membership officer had a volunteer um, admin assistant. I think you're right. So I've lost count of how many. That's quite a lot. It's more than you've got now, isn't it? Oh yeah, there's yeah. two of us now. <laughs> there's two of us now, and weirdly, we didn't have social media in those days. So sometimes I struggle to fathom what. What on earth did we do? We spend so much time uh, either looking at social media or responding to comments and questions because uh, probably more queries now come through the various social media platforms than, than come through emails and certainly letters. I got a letter the other day. I think it was like a handwritten <laughs> letter. I think they brought it to me on a velvet cushion. So, so unusual. But... Um, the truth of the matter is, I think the event coordinator, event manager left. And so 
the the regime in control at that point said could you do two days a week and and I can't remember then I went three days a week and then when the head of marketing left they said you're practically doing this job anyway why don't you do it so I was um, sort of non-contract head of marketing and then I think I finally signed on a on the dotted line in um, 2008, August 2008, I think it was. But uh, it seems, well, it is a long time. I was going to say it seems a long time ago, but it is a long time ago. But um, yeah, so there's just the two of us now, so it's quite cosy. Okay, well, just just going back to Rotten, David, because again, this podcast is largely looking at what is a botanic garden and looking at this particular botanic garden. Uh, so your uh, your work career before you came here, you'd worked on, you were being a journalist on several different uh, titles. Yeah. So you worked in Stroud, didn't you, or something before that? Yeah, well. yeah, sort of local, regional newspapers, media. Yeah, that's my background. And this might be just a very good opportunity to say, give us your Jeremy Clarkson story, because we had Well, yeah. It just doesn't really portray me in a good light or as a man of good judgment but um, I uh, I was working on you don't remember it's the 80s it's a confused time for a lot of us so I was working on a on a free sheet on a free newspaper do you remember those? I do yeah, yeah. suddenly they'd gone from no such thing as a free newspaper something we kind of almost heard about in that happened in America suddenly they were everywhere and even a town like Stroud, which I'd describe as a quiet, just off the Cotswold market town, backwater. I think we had four free newspapers <laughs> at one time, as well as two paid-for newspapers. So the market had just gone mad. But um, we were... The Stroud Mercury series was owned by a company called Steve Austin Limited, which I... Always thought was yeah, yeah. I always thought yeah. There's one for the teenagers there. <laughs> Steve Austin reference, um, and they had titles everywhere in the UK at the time. Not all of them free, but some of them free. And so whenever they were setting up a new paper, they would bust in some expertise, and our bust in expertise came from the West Midlands. And there's this old geezer, old hack called Bill who knew everything and everyone and he just said to me I think I was deputy editor or something like that and he just said to me oh, I've got this young lad just starting out in motoring journalism and he wants to do a bit of a column and get it syndicated but he needs some titles under his belt before and I read the copy and it was quite it was bright and lively a bit funny a bit quirky so I said yeah well let's give him a go if only I knew then what I know now, it would never have happened. But, um, yeah, I, I, I had been working at the Evening Post in Bristol, which is this sort of this massive daily, six-day-a-week uh, uh, city centre. Um, good old-fashioned, you know, Pinkin on a Saturday with the football scores in and all yeah. that sort of thing. And I jumped ship because um, I just fancied going back to Stroud. And that newspaper only lasted a couple of years. Um, it, its demise had nothing to do with Jeremy <laughs> Clarkson, though, I can assure you. 
So does he ever thank you in any of his Q&As for newspapers? Do you know, he's never... I, I carefully go through the index of any books he writes, <laughs> but he's yet to even mention my name or the Stroud Mercury newspaper oh, series. Still time, David. <laughs> still time. <laughs> so with all that uh, journal experience you had, David, so you end up coming here. And uh, what was your view when you moved even to Carmarthenshire? Did you think about what is a botanic garden? Does that have, did that have any relevance to you at all? And it's okay if you didn't. I'm, yeah, I must admit, it's not something I'd, I'd ever thought of. I, um, yeah, this is a bit of a construct, I suppose. But um, I quite often find myself saying, or used to find myself saying, I don't really know much about a botanic garden. I don't even like plants that much, unless you can eat them. <laughs> that was my kind of shtick. I remember that shtick. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I'd like to think that that's, that's really evolved with a greater understanding of the, of the work that goes, that goes on here. And I think some of your podcasts have been, um, have been brilliant at highlighting the exact purpose. I mean, I still, I still get a bit tied up in knots sometimes. I remember we had some, uh, some people from the BBC were here doing a recce. And, and I, was, I was trying to explain why botanic gardens exist by saying it, it it was just after the australian the dreadful australian bushfires where uh, thousands of acres of, of habitat have been destroyed uh, god knows how many plants and and animals and i said that's why botanic gardens are here so that we have this genetic bank this genetic living library of, uh, of, of, of uh, genetic material so that if there is a disaster a bit like the bushfires we can we're in a position to think about restocking that particular habitat with any lost species and uh, i obviously didn't explain it very well uh, and the bbc immediately ran off with the idea that the national botanic garden of wales was going to regrow Australia after the bushfire disaster. <laughs> but um, I'm not quite sure what I did wrong, but in my head, it sounded like quite a long way along the evolutionary road from, I don't even like plants unless you can eat them. Um, but being surrounded by some brilliant people, I mean, Will is one of those... Uh, slightly reluctant com communication geniuses, isn't he? That Will Ritchie. Will Ritchie, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, yeah. the curator, curator, yeah, sorry. Um, he's just brilliant, and you kind of want to bottle him, and then when anybody asks you a question, you find the right bottle and just uncap it and, and, and let Will take over. Well, funny enough, on our first podcast, he did the first podcast for the series, yeah. and uh, he's almost like a textbook. Yeah. So, you know, he kind of like turned him on, and like, boy, he gave everything. So, if, anyone's listening to this and you really want to hear about what is a botanic garden for just go back to Will Riches he's, he's absolutely nailed it it's yeah. perfect yes he's uh, spot on isn't he so um, the, I think the the reality was I was coming from a fairly generalistic background in other words I'm no good at anything and so so trying to trying to apply the rules of PR and, and journalism to a botanic garden. I was probably concentrating on what I always call the hoopla. <laughs> so it was 
you know, getting Fireman Sam in to entertain the kids and uh, a choir, a band, uh, a musical duo, or some outdoor theatre. So I was really sort of, certainly in the early days, I was really focused on that kind of, that kind of event activity. But it was your then, job then to get bums on the seats, wasn't it, and to get income through the door? Not that that's gone away, but that, that, was, no. that was a really, really strong one. And I, I think that's a sort of fundamental conflict that exists in any place like this, which has to pedal really hard in order to make 70% of its, of its income. It's got to generate it from the gate, the retail outlets, uh, catering, and any other income stream we can, um, you know, we can cut our hands and, 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 and dive into. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I was only driven by, yeah, you're right, bums on seats. That was, that was really the, the mission. But like I say, after, after a couple of years, I mean, I've seen some pretty inspiring people. I, I, I was referencing Jess, the late Jess Gould in a, in yeah. a meeting this morning about how even now 15 years on I still remember her identifying plants and flowers course that she did informally for some staff and I still know that it's a member of the mint family because it's got a square stem yeah, and it's just that those little nuggets of information and spending time with people like Ivor Stokes and Simon Goodenough and and Will obviously you can't help but want to know more you can't help but to better understand the world around you and so I've gone from growing flowers it's just a bourgeois indulgence <laughs> to trying to tell the BBC about the importance of uh, botanic gardens. So David the role the way you've done marketing over the years has really really changed hasn't it as well? Yeah well like I said we didn't have um, social media when I started and now that that is a big slice of the action not not only in dealing with visitors queries but also it's now become a platform upon which we advertise probably more often than any other platform but essentially it's all of the social media looking after the website doing all the marketing doing all the communications sorting out the advertising campaigns and yeah uh, visitor leaflets and and printing and signs and all that sort of thing so it's loud isn't it and and again when you started in 2007 um, a lot of it was press release was it yeah yeah so my specifically my one day a a week role was just PR and that was that was um, fun because I didn't really know anyone in the garden I didn't know much about it I simply had to go out and wander the grassy paths and yeah. find stories, find interesting stuff. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's never been a shortage of great stories. And I've always seen my job as shining a light on the excellent work that is done here. Because I don't, I'm not going to make any scientific discoveries. And I'm not going to grow anything absolutely amazing or rare or endangered or just stunningly beautiful. That's not, that's not what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is take that story that yarn that message out to the to the wider world so um i think the 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 challenge then was to track down the story the challenge now is to somehow find the time in order to tell all the brilliant stories that we've 
that we've got to tell. Yeah, and you've got, you've got other people to do it as well now, haven't you? So, although you have a department of hardly anybody, you do get people doing social media, don't you? You have colleagues who tweet, tweet now, yeah. who do Facebook pages, who do Instagram and all sorts of things. So in some ways, you've got a few more people, but um, we should probably helping in some ways to spread the core message of the garden, would you say? Yeah, so one of the really good aspects of, of social media is that you can harness the power of this ambassador, brand ambassador, to either repeat the messages, the official mes messages that are going out from the garden, or just come up with their own stuff, you know, find their own lovely stories and so the, the the sort of size of your squad is unrestricted if you know what I mean the, the cohort of people that are on your side is, is, is almost limitless which is uh, which is a real boon especially like you say when there's only two of us and over the years you've you've been making content you've been uh, getting things on BBC ITV uh, Channel 4 all the sort of like big uh, TV stations and uh, small ones as well. So presumably over the years, they've come here and they've gone, oh, it's, oh, it's all right, this place, we'll come back with something else. So is, is that helped as well, that sort of longevity? Um, yeah, I mean, we've always tried to cultivate a very welcoming aspect to, well, uh, on any level of visit, but specifically for my, uh, in my area. We try and make things as easy as possible for film crews and radio crews and journalists, and also, you know, travel writers that want to that they're staying somewhere nearby and they want to include us in their in their articles. I've always been a strong believer in if you make it nice and easy and make them warmly welcome, then the chances are they'll speak favourably about you to friends and colleagues. And when you're talking about what is strangely quite a small world of, of TV researchers and, and programme makers. It's astonishing how quickly that, that idea can spread. We were at Chelsea in, I'm pretty sure it's 2010, it might have been 2011, and so we had a garden at the Chelsea Flower Show, yeah. and one of the things that the BBC do is absolutely throw the kitchen sink at Chelsea and they had six or eight film crews going around the going around the site looking for stories and um, we were telling them all sorts of stuff in order to engage and get them to do a bit of filming get a celeb over to come and sit on the seat in our special well-being garden Can you get uh, David Gower? David Gower came <laughs> over my favourite was, was um, uh, Kirsty from um, uh, what uh, build yourself a home? <laughs> one of those programs. <laughs> Kirsty, it's Kirsty off of Kirsty and Phil, uh, yeah. um, and um, the Wellbeing Garden had this lovely feature, which was a, a reflexology pebble path. So yeah. you you take the shoes and socks off and walk up the path for a bit of reflexology uh, therapy. And well, she's a game girl. And um, she did just that, and of course the the media, the cameras, the film crews absolutely lapped it up, and that's just the sort of thing you want. After Chelsea, we were suddenly hot. So, uh, great glass houses of Britain came and filmed 
country file were knocking our door down and you know gardener's world and all the all the and 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 some film companies location scouts looking for places to film and it it quickly became apparent that this was a fallout the sort of the penumbra cast by chelsea all those researchers and producers and and program makers uh, had other jobs had other projects and they all need a venue for a project and so we had made that connection and i think because a lot of people think oh it's a bit unsustainable nick chelsea build a garden in three days and chuck it in a skip and blah 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 and it's all um, it's a bit knobby and it's a bit celebby isn't it but in fact for an organization like ours it was a it was a real boon fantastic philip yeah and actually we've got we've still got a legacy here from 2001 chelsea with the japanese japanese garden, garden, still yeah. here, which is yeah. actually looking great it's sort of been done up recently yeah but um it's going to be a, it's going to be fabulous in the spring when those cherry trees. The cherry, the, uh, oh, what are they called? What? Sakura. Sakura. There's a hundred Sakura cherry trees planted last year. Yeah. So with the new newly revamped bog garden, those cherry trees and the beautiful Japanese garden, that's going to be that's going to be bewitching. I think. Don't you might even do a marketing thing about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so David, you've also uh, again a lot of your work is probably thinking laterally. Or taking advantage laterally because um, I know we worked on websites together, and one year our biggest web page hit was Doctor Who. I mean, yeah. Things like that are massive, ones, yeah. aren't they? Cause yeah, yeah. That was um, what was that? The Waters of Mars, was it? Yeah. Rivers of Mars. So we're Waters the Mars? Waters of Mars. So yes. So once again, I can't remember the year, but the Doctor was David Tennant. So all you Whovians <laughs> will know exactly when that was, and it was his penultimate. Was it his penultimate? Um, episode or something right. like that and you know you kind of make your own luck in these situations it's it's the legacy of being welcoming and f- warm and friendly t- to all comers and yeah. in my position that means mainly media film and media types that that gets you this incredible dividend and um you know even this year even recently, in the last few months, you know, this, the tour of Britain cycle race has been through. Michael Patillo was here the Sunday before last. Doing his railway journey. Doing his railway yeah, journey, yeah. yeah. And, and Joanna Lumley. She's not a Dane, is she? She should be a Dane. Make her a Dane. Dane Joanna Lumley was here uh, following the exploits of a, of a uh, you know, climate change activist who was flying around the UK coast in a a solar-powered microlight, and that 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 goodwill, good feeling, warm welcome, it just begets um, more good stuff. And when we've um, so we have the very very as well very soggy but very well attended antiques roadshow, which keeps appearing on the telly, and I seem to remember there was uh, after it broadcast last time, some loads of people came in the day after or something. I mean, these things were, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, it it's lit. It is literally advertising you can't buy, or rather, it's advertising you literally cannot buy, which is a slot on BBC TV, um, unless you're BBC Sounds, obviously, and you have endless adverts. But it, it's and in and it's priceless in so many ways. You you you've only got to see that 
when I forget to tell the webmasters that we're on the telly again. We go from 2,000 visits a day on our website to 30,000 and, uh, and it gets very slow <laughs> accordingly. But um, yeah, there's, it's a bit quick hit. It's a bit, you know, sort of one hit wonder, but... Um, but they keep coming back. I keep ah, getting yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. F- f- friends or family I've seen for ages sort of ring me up or something saying, I've seen you on that there bargain hunt. Yeah. I watched a little segment in the yeah, yeah. hall. And it's now on Dave every now and again. Yeah. You know, it's probably will be for several years, as indeed I'm sure the Antique Roadshow will yeah. be. Yeah, and it and it's it goes it, it plays in America and you know English speaking countries around the world. So it's a gift that keeps on giving yeah. globally. I mean, all those local. I mean, I can't keep up with all the uh, afternoon shows. No, I know Natasha Devere was on location country. Or, I don't know. Oh, but a house in a country or something. something. But I think yeah. she was on several one of those. Yeah. Talking about, but you know, she was talking about the science message. Yeah. The great thing was, I mean, we uh, kind of looking at what is a botanic garden, and those little fillers in those sort of uh, here's their gone tomorrow shows. Yeah. Are fantastic, aren't they? Because you got you suddenly got Natasha talking about uh, doing DNA barcoding for working out where pollinators go. Yeah. Just on a constant loop. Uh, unrivaled right. platform, yeah, for the for the mission and the message. And message you did, and when you started though, that wasn't it, that, what you'd be happy with. Presumably, it might be a TV piece or a mention in the in the newspapers. Really excited if it goes into broad, national broadsheets. Yeah. But now you've got much more uh, all sorts of other ways of maybe getting through to people. Yeah, I, once again, you you sort of build up a network of contacts and. Um, I think it's the same in any job, but the, traditionally the journos have their little contacts book and you keep contacts for you know decades. And it's funny how sooner or later people you genuinely thought you'd never hear from again come round to, uh, you know, sort of enter your sphere of influence. And um, people, are, people are always asking us, What's you know what's going on at the garden? What's new at the garden? Have you got any good stories? And that's a that's a great position to be in, rather than having to chase these people down. You know, because that that takes a lot of time to chasing people, convincing them that we're worth the coverage. Yeah, it's so much better for them to be asking us. You know, you this is you've always been fertile ground in the past. Um, and I need a, whatever it is, a silly season story. Or I need a comment on um, the day's big news. Um, and it's, for me, the perfect position has always been to aim for is to be the turn to source of information yeah. in, 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 our particular, in our particular field. Uh, and I think we get, well, we're a lot closer than we were. I won't get too um, carried away. We're, we're a lot closer to achieving that than, than we were. You've also got um, uh, people like Jack Taylor, who's part, who, who works with you, who makes beautiful films, he gets his drone out now, doesn't he? So like, things which, quite frankly, would have had to pay a few thousand pounds for in the past. We have a member yeah. of staff now who, who makes films of pretty much equal quality, which actually we can direct and talk about things that we want to talk about, yeah. so we can deliver up stuff. Like I mean, it, it definitely puts us in the driving seat for 
you know, controlling the output, as it were, not only saving us a lot of money, but being able to, you know, have a detailed brief because yeah. you're actually briefing someone who's in the team rather than someone who's come from outside and possibly doesn't know anything about us, doesn't really get it, or whatever, whatever. You've got there's quite a lot of ground to make up in that situation. And that's not even including the whatever it is, how many ever grand you've got to spend in order to encourage them to come and do the work. No, he's, um, he's a real star. And almost every day he reveals some new layer of uh, skill that uh, I've not noticed before, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And just as well, because as I said, there's only two of us and I'm not, I'm not um, technically gifted in any way so yeah we make a pretty good team he's uh he's a real asset to the girl definitely and over the last year david i don't know if you uh want to take the credit or <laughs> i the, do yeah, <laughs> but the uh, but the numbers of people coming into the botanic garden have shot up haven't they over the last year so you know i'm taking a punt here there might be a bit of a covid bounce going on or a staycation but um is this would you say this is uh, entirely due to that or do you think it's due to the fact that we the message has been given out to people there's loads to do here and lots to do around the garden uh, not all indoors you so you can actually go outside and have a really great day whether it's just yourself or with a family or something yeah. is that really good? well um, it's a bit boring to say but it's rather more complex than that <laughs> the garden's attitude took a a wonderful turn for the better in 2015-16 and we opened a tropical butterfly house as an attraction. We also completely overhauled the very tired looking children's playground and put in the things that kids really like and we, within a couple of years we'd increased visitor numbers by about 40% and that trend the line on that graph continues to go skyward, which is which is great news. I think this particular this particular surge in visitors is about people not going abroad. It is about staycations, but it's also I think about people cherishing more uh, what is on their doorstep. Because I don't know whether anyone remembers what it was like at the beginning of the lockdown, but you were only allowed out once a day. Yeah. And everybody, but everybody, went for a walk. Uh, uh, and it, if they were lucky enough, that would be a walk in the countryside. But most people, I mean, my, my brother lives in Barnet, which he insists is North London, but I say it's Hertfordshire. <laughs> it's just a fact. And he was saying he was out walking and discovered little alleyways and little paths and cut-throughs and things that he'd never, re never realised were there. And, you, you know, he's happy to talk about this seemingly mundane uh, thing but then we didn't have a great deal to report did we we didn't have no. a great deal to talk about back then no. and I, I like to think that people that got out in the countryside and went for their country walk and, and just had a, we had a bit more time we lingered a little longer along those country lanes and I think we discovered or rediscovered or rekindled a bit of joy of nature you know, not necessarily, you know, we didn't all go out forest bathing and, and wild swimming, but in our own way, we all reconnected. And so that's an element. I'd also um, 
say that right at the beginning of lockdown when we didn't really know what was going to happen, so it's difficult to judge what was the best thing to do, was that we took the decision, so the communication strategy was we were just going to keep everybody in touch. We're going to change our rather erratic occasional newsletter to once a week and every week so people could keep in touch and we could keep our brand in the noise, as we used to like to say in the yeah. 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was a bit, this is what you're missing. But it happened to coincide with Jack's arrival and he started doing these fabulous films. And it, it just took on this whole new this whole new meaning really that while people were connecting reconnecting with the nature near their homes they also had this little window into the garden that they loved because they were a member or they lived nearby and they liked to visit regularly or whatever it was and and it seemed to strike a chord and i can't help thinking that some of the some of the number in these big figures that we're having at the moment i mean record figures not seen for a decade and a half uh, are also linked to that but like I say rather boringly it's quite a complex complex picture I, I don't know if you have a crystal ball David how do you think things might change in the future as well and I know from a garden point of view we're not putting on as much we're not planning well you might tell me right right, right wrong here we're not planning to do as many events as we used to do am I right yeah that's I think that there's a sort of uncertainty about what's to come isn't there even now sitting here on the 14th of September, we're not actually sure what the world's going to look like hereabouts come October. So it kind of hampers our plans or, or any idea of planning. But I think there's been an, a step change in our visitors. And one of the things that seems to be common, certainly talking to other attractions hereabouts, is that people have a higher value for what's on their doorstep whether that's actually on their doorstep, so they live just a few miles away, or people in England coming to Wales. And it's so many, so many reports of people saying, I had no idea this was here. You know, you think nothing of flying three and a half hours to Milan. <laughs> but just up the M4, there's this yeah. wonderful, rich, varied uh, culture. But the language, the scenery, everything about it, it's just so fantastic. and and. And people are more, we're exposing more and more people to that. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to be able to guarantee that, you know, they're going to choose Wales over Milan every time. Well, it doesn't seem to go better than it. But, yeah, but, um, but uh, I think we've done ourselves the power of good in terms of showcasing what this country has to offer to the people that have come to see us this year. And I'm sure a big proportion of those will be back. The, um, yeah, the reality is this is a golden opportunity for us as an organisation to harness that love of nature power that's been going on and really try and explain, yeah, what is a national botanic garden? Well, what is a botanic garden and why, why you should be involved and why you should care? Um, why you should support and why you should visit yeah. and I don't think that needs to be kind of gilded with hoopla in order yeah. to achieve that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we we should be confident in the, 
the product, as we like to say, or, or more plainly, in the in the in the botanic garden, in the site. I mean, we've just opened this fantastic new landscape, haven't we? And and I've never, 15, 16 years, I've never seen so many positive comments uh, about any aspect of the garden. Or obviously, there's a few people that have got have got some issues, but overwhelmingly positive comments about the the new attraction we've got here in the landscape. Um, and that's and that's also helped drive the, the numbers. The word of mouth from that has been has been really powerful, I think. I've got to say that's been very tantalizing for me because I keep getting people walking around our reopened landscape and coming back saying, have you seen the otter? I saw it today. Or have you seen the kingfisher? I haven't seen any of these things. But that's because maybe my eyesight's not really good, or maybe I'm too noisy. But these these things are all coming on, and I, I, yeah. I'm loving people feeding back about all this yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. David, I want to finish off with a bit more of a trivial answer, uh, a trivial question, if that's okay. Someone like this brings in a lot of uh, sort of famous faces. Of um, Johnny, you particularly enjoyed meeting over the years because most of them meet the media guy, don't they? Um, yeah. Mainly I hear about them having visited, to be honest. <laughs> I remember um, being told quite a few years ago now that Jeremy Paxman had said, it's very nice when asked <laughs> by the admissions team whether he'd enjoyed his visit <laughs> as he was going out. Um, and I was very annoyed that um, I missed the visit of Keris Matthews. Um, did she want to go up in the balloon while she was here? Uh, no, oh, okay. so these are two separate occasions. Oh, okay. She went up, she did go up in a balloon, but she was. She also came as part of the one show. She was presenting the one show or a feature on the one show, her and Giles Brandra. So not all good news then. <laughs> but Keris is, oh, she's just fabulous and talented and marvellous. So I was disappointed to uh, to miss her. But I think... My favourite celeb interaction has got to be Jermaine Greer. So I know not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but she was being interviewed on the BBC Radio 4 Arts programme, Front Row, yeah. about an Australian exhibition somewhere in London. I'm sorry, I can't remember. And they said, what did you think about the plants that were the planting scheme that was sort of decorating the exhibition and she said if I want to see Australian plants I go to the National Botanic Garden of Wales they're terrific this year yeah oh, and, and I was sitting there having me tea uh, must admit I nearly choked on my fish finger sandwich when she said that because <laughs> it was completely out of the blue completely unexpected and I genuinely didn't know she'd ever been but um, she did go on to say they've got this glass house and the They've got all these Mediterranean climate plants and they've got a big Australian section and it's absolutely fabulous. And that's where I go whenever I want to see Australian plants, which is my favourite uh, kind of kind of celeb story, I think, from the garden. Oh, that's lovely. Well, thank you, David. It's been uh, very illuminating. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, next time we'll be talking to uh, Catherine Thomas, who runs our biophilic Wales project talking about the garden taking its work into other places okay thank you